Live podcast produced locally in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. here at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell. Today only joined by Father Jack Berard. Father, hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. today we're going to talk about the senses of Scripture. Father. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I think this podcast is probably going to be a little shorter than normal because... Uh, well, I don't know Father Larry to make fun of, and that usually fills up about 10 minutes of time. But, uh, you know, at, and honestly, I'm only saying that to see if Father Larry is going to listen to this before he gets back, um, which he will. He'll text me. I started to And that's exactly how he texts. So, uh, But, no, this is this is actually a really important uh, topic. It's, it's, it's the senses of Scripture in it, um, which basically means how are we to read scripture there might be another way to to phrase it and you know and it sounds like it should be pretty straightforward but it's really not and um and that's not a bad thing right (laughs) it's actually kind of one of these great realities and we kind of start with the question of um of what is scripture right and and, and kind of a taking the step back you know because we know what they are right we know it's the bible at its core But, but when we say that we have this understanding of the the dual authorship of scripture, which is that both God, the divine author and the human author of each of the individual books of scripture. Um, and because there are these, in a sense, you could say it this way, because there are these two authors and one of which, uh, has a greater understanding than things that we know. Um, we can kind of say that we, we can say very clearly that there is, uh, this, these multiple senses of scripture, multiple ways of understanding scripture. So let's just, first of all, yeah, you you need to put to bed immediately. Mm. The age old, uh, the adage that Catholics were dissuaded from reading scripture. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so here's kind of the funny part about that, right? Is that in, in a sense, uh, we were, but it has less to do with the fact that we weren't supposed to read scripture and more to do with, that was a really expensive book, right? I mean, when it costs $15,000 to write a book because you have to hand copy it, you are go- you are going to chain the book down, right? It's like you're going to lock up the vessels after mess. So um, the, the reality of Catholics weren't supposed to read scriptures has never been true. Um, if you don't believe me, just go read the Fathers, right? Which sounds like a funny way to disprove it, but they talk about it, the fact that He's not talking about Father Larry, by the way. Definitely, right. Uh, we're talking about the real, the church fathers, right? We're talking about the, the, the early saintly theologians. But they, I mean, they had a whole way of praying with Scripture. How do you pray with Scripture if you're not allowed to read Scripture? Right? It's it's literally, you know, contradictory to say that. To, oh, pray with Scripture, just don't read it ever, right? No, we, we have to do both. Um, And so, of course, like we're supposed to. Now, you know, um, did most people do it? No, but, you know. Most people don't go to mass on Sunday either. Doesn't mean that's what the church teaches. Um, so, so we do have that kind of just that starting point of, yeah, we have to, um, yeah, we have to know that we're meant to read our our scripture and, and you know, there are times obviously where we were where we've been better and worse at it. But let's just kind of jump in a little bit to, um, to how, you know. Because as Americans, we have this kind of understanding of what, um, what the, um, how we're supposed to interact with Scripture. And, and, and we think of Scripture, sometimes we get kind of this weird 
pushback because our Protestant, a lot of Protestant brethren will take it very, very literally. And we're not, we're not about that <laughs> so much, you know, we don't, we don't do, uh, the, the, this, you know, six day creation story quite as literally. And, and so people will say back to us, right. Those, those Protestants will sometimes say, well, you don't take the Bible literally. Um, and, and that's actually probably the first, and this jumps into kind of the first of the four senses, which is the literal sense of scripture. Um, and when we say that, we don't mean that every word is word for word true. And I always tell this, I always love teaching this to little kids because I'm going to say, you're going to learn a new word that you'll never use again, right? Until somebody comes at you and says, you don't take the Bible literally. And you, you get to respond, yes, I do. I just don't take it literalistically, right? Which means that we read it as it was intended and it's saying that it is true, but it doesn't mean that we think that every word that is in scripture is meant to seen visually. So why is that an important distinction? Because if I say to you, it's raining cats and dogs outside, you're going to know what that means. You mean you're going to know that it means it's raining really, really, really hard. But if you're reading the Bible literalistically or hearing that, and you're taking it literalistically, you're going to say, it's raining felines and canines, right? Which is absurd. So yes, we take the Bible literally. We just don't, we just know that literally doesn't mean you have to take every single word uh, to be perfectly true. And it is, it is this uh, you know, great affront to the to scriptures if it's not um, 100% perfect. And then another kind of, you know, so how do we see that in, um, in scripture? One of the great examples is in Matthew's gospel in the account of Jesus entering Jerusalem, right, on Palm Sunday. And it says, everyone in Jerusalem was gathered at the gate. Now, literally speaking, that means a huge crowd of people. Does that mean that every single soul was gathered at the gate? No, no. And, there, and you know, it's it's not a reasonable assumption, right? We don't, we don't put aside reason when we study scripture. So, um, so we're going to kind of take that, um, take that as just, all right, so we know that literally means it's trying to convey a very particular message, but it doesn't always mean exactly what it says, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's not. This is not this affront uh, to um, to to an understanding of scripture or saying that it's not true. Right? Just to say that each word it doesn't always mean exactly what we think it means. Now, um, because uh, because we can and. There's this great little old middle-aged Latin poem about how to understand Scripture. And I'm going to start with the Latin because, uh, you know, that's what we do here. Um, and then we'll jump into uh, translate it, which is, Litera gesta docet quod credas allegoria, moralia quod agas, quod tendas anagogia, which means the literal sense teaches what happened, the allegorical, what you should believe, the moral, what you should do, and the anagogical, where you are going, right? This is how we read scripture, is in that, that brief little poem, which, I mean, sometimes it's nice to know Latin, because then you would only have to memorize 12 words uh, to understand how we're, we're called to, uh, you know, use the, the senses of scripture. So we, we talked about, because the, the, there's four senses overall, and we talked about the first one, which is the literal, which is what happened. Um, now, for most of scripture, we we take it to be a very historical fact. Now, most people 
that I've heard say that it starts pretty much at Abraham is when uh, there's it's much the the, the turn of uh, scripture to a more historical book. So so the first I guess eleven ish chapters of Genesis, um, there could be, but we're not held to it. It's more an understanding of of what we call myths, which don't mean necessarily that it's completely untrue, but rather it's it's kind of meant to be a broad story. And there are things that, um, you know, like the, the, the Genesis, I always talk about the creation story in Genesis is that there's two of them, right? So clearly that if even, even if we want to take the Bible, literally, they can't both be true. There's only one world. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, and it doesn't even conflict. It just gives a different expression of the same truth. Right. Um, was the snake in the garden, uh, a snake? Who knows? Uh, does it really matter? Not really, you know, it doesn't really change the fact that, that there is evil in the world and there's a personification of evil, namely Satan. Um, and that the first, our first, uh, you know, forebear, forefathers, um, failed God in disobedience. And that from there, they, they spun off, right? I always love reading the debates. This is one of my, this is like when you get, you realize that like, you know, scriptural academia is funny, but when they start debating what kind of fruit was, was the, that, that it wasn't an apple in the Garden of Eden, it was probably a banana or a pomegranate. And I'm thinking they're going, aren't you the same guys who don't believe it's true? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, but we'll just put a pin in that sense. So, but but before we jump into these, the, the next three senses of Scripture, which are kind of more fun to talk about, um, I, I kind of want to just add this one thing. If you, I, I the literal sense, this is kind of just a, a trend in the church, is has been since... Uh, just before Vatican II, so it's not since the 1950s, has been probably the predominant sense of Scripture, is is an understanding of like, I just want to know what happened, right? And and the Germans do a lot of Scripture study, which um, if you're following the German church now, um, you know is not a good sign. <laughs> German the- like, it's funny because there's some like phenomenal German theologians Namely, uh, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger um, is one of is is debatably, but probably the best twentieth century theologian in the church. Um, and then there's a lot of really bad ones. And uh, but so they have this whole scriptural part of of their study, and they say things like "sits and Laban," which is just a great way of saying the situation in life. Um, so so when we read certain stories, um, especially when we read the Old Testament, we we, because that's what our faith teaches us to do, look back uh, with with a certain Christological lens, right? So when we read the story of uh, Jonah, for example, we're going to see not just his story, but we're going to talk about um, the three days as a type, right? And or um, maybe just you know as important, we'll say things like. Um, and this has come up a lot, you'll see, you know, during the Easter season, um, Moses uh, lifts up the bronze serpent, right, as Christ is lifted up on the cross. And we, we do that, just second nature to us. And, and one of the things of, of 20th century uh, scholarship, script, Catholic scriptural scholarship, was to stop doing that. The idea was to recapture uh, the meaning of scripture in its own time which sounds nice, right? It actually sounds like a really worthwhile project. It really wasn't. Uh, and, and the problem is, uh, 
it led to really bizarre theories. And, and it led to a stripping away of the supernatural of Scripture. So all that mattered was what the human author was trying to say. And yes, there was a human author, but um, but this is this is where you start getting you know from the you know, mid and late twentieth century is where you start getting a lot of these kind of bizarre uh, theories of of authorship. So, like if you look at um, you know like who actually wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? You know, the church is saying like, yeah, it's 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 pretty much guaranteed it's the first one. He was probably a disciple of, of Peter, which is why, you know, there's this, that, and the other thing. And and then all of a sudden it was like that became, that still held true. It was, he was still the first one. But, but because of this word, and this is literally how it would go sometimes. It would say, look at this one word. And so he couldn't have been, he couldn't have been writing before 150 AD. And it's like, what? How did you, like, how did you make that leap? And, be, and because... This last, what we would now refer to as the last chapter of Mark, sounds as if it is is discontinuous with the rest of it. Um, it it assuredly was a later edition, and the er- therefore the early church did not believe in the resurrection that this was a later edition. And you're like, huh, that's weird. I don't know how you could possibly think. And like, and the thing is, they get they got hyper focused on the word, and they weren't looking at other things so they would say like there would be very um real claims like the early church didn't like you know the there was no memorial of the of the institution of the last supper the eucharist um until at least the third century and they would say because these gospels weren't written till then and they don't seem to always flow and so they must be this and and then they're like and and so someone this is where it gets very sketchy they're like well you can't leave this writing to, to make the claim, okay, which sounds like, oh, no, that sounds reasonable. Like, well, except <laughs> the faith of the church isn't in this writing, right? And it's a misunderstanding of what this book of Scripture is because we take it as a whole. Um, now, why is that important for the Eucharist? Well, because Paul writes about it in what I think has to be attributed as about 54 A.D. in First Corinthians. Um, so just taking that as if you've heard a lot of bad preaching— <laughs> That's probably why, because every everything taught in seminaries for the last sixty years—that's not totally true, but it's pretty true—has been the literal sense of scripture, which just doesn't convey faith. Um, it it has gotten rid of the divine. Well, if the if the written word of God is not is stripped of the divine, everything gets stripped of the divine. So here's where things get a bit more interesting. And it's not to say that the literal sense is important, but the, the spiritual sense of Scripture is more where I think God tends to reveal himself. And so um, so we have this allegorical sense of, of Scripture, um, which basically just says, like, what are we supposed to believe? So, you know, I, I always joked because my... Um, I got my STB from the Angelicum, which is, taught by, which is run by the Dominicans, um, Dominicans teach St. Thomas, who is uh, pretty much the, one of the, the best, he's the best theologian the church has, and the church recommends that every seminarian study him um, and has for the last 150 years, even though nobody listens to the church, turns out. Um, but he, 
you know, the the other end of the <laughs> of the angelicum is that as good as their moral department and dogmatics are, their scripture is stuck in the 1960s. So it was like the worst. It just, I cannot explain to you how bad and how much I just wanted to skip every single one of them. Um, it's gotten better, but it wasn't when I was there. Um, and and But we used to joke that we learned about scripture in our Christology class because, you know, you start to see what, like where scripture comes alive. Like, in, in the person of Christ, in the different um, titles of Christ and all these things. And so you start to see things um, um, a little bit clearer. So, um, you know, I know, I, th- I believe that in a, in a few weeks, uh, Father Larry is going to start a Bible study on Revelation. Revelation is, is not going to be very literal, <laughs> hopefully. Um you know, it's 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 a vision, so it, it does happen. It is something that Saint John uh, wrote down, but it's going to be a lot of allegory, right? It's going to be a lot of explanation of of and kind of veiled language. Um, I think it was. I'm pretty sure one of the reasons that Scott Hahn said he converted was he sat in mass to. I think he said to disprove it, which is just hilarious to me. Um, because because he had enough humility to change his heart, um, but enough pride to think that he was going to change, you know, whatever. Um, he, you know, he's in the church now, and he's a great <laughs> a great evangelist and theologian. So I'm not going to make fun of him too much, but um, but I'm sure he's laughing at himself too. Um, but he said he sat down at mass and he said, "This is the book of Revelation come alive, right?" Because he he knew he knows what we all know is that that he didn't you know as much as Saint John probably saw this vision, he at the same time also knew it wasn't an external thing that like is a literal event. And so, um, so we kind of see that in, in, in different ways of, of there is a certain, um, you know, beyondness of, of the written word. And I know that sounds funny, <laughs> but, but that's pretty much the best, the best we're going to do to describe it, um, is that there is a, um, like a more than right at the right at the first glance um take and that and that's a that's a good thing um even things that we kind of already mentioned this this kind of uh typology right of of these old testament characters um who are what we would now refer to as types of christ so the jonas the Jobs, the moses the, well, pretty much all of them uh, you know, uh, all the good guys are, are these types of Christ, uh, in the sense that they foreshadow Christ and, and Augustine has, has the very, uh, very profound kind of, I think it's Augustine has this of saying, we, we see the, um, old Testament in the new and the new Testament in the old, and we always read them in light of each other. That's not problematic. We don't. Uh, it shouldn't be problematic to anybody hearing that. Um, and the catechism points out that, that pretty much the best, one of the best examples would be um, the crossing of the Red Sea is a sign of the Christ of type of Christ's victory and also of Christian baptism. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so then we move on to, to the moral sense, which is how we, how we should, or what we should do, right? So what we're called to do. So some of it is very clear, Right, and when we're talking about that, I mean, some of the stuff is just, you know, um, 
you know, I mean, I would think, it, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, right, is, is like, there's like moral law, and that's, that obvious is, is meant to, but there's also certain instructions that come, um, you know, that are a little bit, in a little bit more narrative fashion, um, and, and what I want to point out is, is, uh, I think it's, it's James, I want to say it's, uh, uh, James chapter four, where he talks about, and and whoever brings one of uh, someone who had fallen away from the faith back, or, or basically saves a sinner, is guarantees the salvation of his own soul, right? Like, so that's kind of a mor- that's part of this moral command, right? That isn't you know a list of ten commandments or the eight beatitudes or any of these things, but it's still giving us an instruction as to how we ought to live. Um, and, and an example of, of what we should be doing. And then the last one is the anagogical, um, which it's a Greek, coming from a Greek word meaning leading. Um, and so we see things in, in terms of an eternal significance. So what is, what is being hinted at for, uh, for the last? So, um, you know, I always think of, uh, think of the um the psalms when it refers to zion zion is almost i think there's actually we always kind of laugh because if you ever if you ever pray the breviary there's an antiphon before and after each of the psalms but there's also usually a little saint quote after or like underneath it and you don't ever have to read it but you can also use that as an antiphon but there is one from i think origin see the origin or Augustine, i can't remember one of the early scripture scholars and they and all it says is zion represents heaven and and it's just is so simple, but it's so funny to everybody. Who just kind of goes, that that's the profound statement you put, you know, <laughs> for this. Um, but that's kind of it. Is there's nowhere that says that in scripture to say that um, every time you hear Zion, as you walk up to Zion, as you, um, you know, as I walk up to and you know, or, or Jerusalem, it would be another example of something that represents heaven. Um, you know, which I what's, I can't remember the psalm which one it is now, but if I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, or how could we sing, O Zion, uh, how could we sing to our captives one of Zion's songs? Um, that there's a sense of, of incompleteness that we have. Um, now, for the, for the we kind of see pretty quickly, you know, why this would be important for scholars and for teaching and all that stuff, but most listeners aren't there, right? I, I would, I mean, this is, as I was thinking about why would I, you know, what's talking about, um, talking about the senses of scriptures is, is great and helpful. And I think people, uh, it's good to know. And it's kind of nice to be able to point and say, um, you know, maybe, maybe go a little deeper next time, you know, show the spiritual sense of, of the scripture. And, um, but I think as we, as we talk about why is this important for us? It's it's a sense in which we we can do this also in our prayer, because part of our um, part of our faith is that we come to understand right that if 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 these words are meant to be the re- God revealing Himself and they are you know if they're meant to show who God is and these senses are how the church says to read Scripture then each of them has a significance or ought to have a significance in how we interact with them. So in our prayer, we should be able, 
you know, maybe not, you know, in a very rigorous sort of way, but we should be able to kind of see like, wait, wait, what am I doing with this? You know, um, am I, am I just trying to understand what the human author says, which I think, which a lot of people are kind of tempted to do, but there's also kind of way in which as we pray, um, are we, are we saying, what am I learning from this? Where am I, where am I moving? Uh, where am I going to? What am, what am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to do? Um, that's there every time we read scripture, every time we, you know, do our Lexio Divina, our, our, our divine reading, um, or, or, even, or even the rosary as we reflect yeah. on the individual mysteries or exactly. Cause this, this is kind of the beauty of it is like with, yeah, as we like, it should kind of come out a little bit more of, of what of those and those levels, um, which is kind of a dangerous word I know. Um, but, um, we should be able to relate these things back to God to be able to say, Oh, okay. Like I kind of get it a little bit more now in this light. I've never understood this passage by itself. I remember, um, um, you know, some of the, there's a, what I forget what they call them, but the, there are a lot of the, um, <laughs> the, the polemical word is the genocidal, uh, passages of the Old Testament, right, where, where God just kind of wipes out everybody, which is, sounds really extreme. Um, and and sometimes you, you you read that and you're like, how on earth could that be good, right? And like, in a literal sense, you're like, no, I can see if all you, if all you can see is, is the literal meaning of, of this passage, which is that, you know, 200 prophets of Baal just died. Um, it, then Then you start to go, Oh, like God must be really evil, you know, and that and that happens a lot these days, um, even by people who who have faith in, in on a certain level. But but as we read that and not only understand the um, the saving power of God, we should also kind of see the the deeper sense of that that allegorical sense of God destroys every evil and not in a superficial kind of way it's not just like he wins and then the other one kind of hangs around at the end when when in that st- so the story is a lo- this is my favorite story in the bible I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced of it so real quick the quick version is elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest to see whose god is real all right and he basically says we're going to each build an altar and then we're going to try and have the our gods are going to start the fire we're not going to start the fire so you guys go first and 250 prophets of Baal get out there and they go crazy, right? Praying, screaming, yelling, slicing their arms, like jumping around and Elijah's just taunting them, it's, which I just love because Elijah is now my favorite. And, and then he just, he goes and he, and they, they're exhausted. They go all morning. And then Elijah goes, okay, my turn. Literally, I think he says my turn. And he goes, he built an altar with 12 stones, right? That should signify something to us, right? There's 12, there's a fullness. There's exactly with the tribes of, of Israel, all that kind of stuff. And then he, he goes, so that you guys believe me, give me some water. And they pour a jug of water over the sacrifice and another and another three times. Wow. And then so that it is completely full. And he bows his head and he prays. And the whole sacrifice is consumed in fire. All of the water is sucked up. The altar itself is consumed. They all respond and then all of the prophets <laughs> are consumed in this fire. And that's 
telling to us on a literal level, you're just like, wow, God's really strong. Um, and, and he does not like when people, um, do those things, but on a deeper level, we're reminded what we should believe is that God completely annihilates evil. It's not just like he's a bit stronger and he shows himself when he needs to. He's saying, I hate evil. I hate when there is a competition with me. Like we should, this is how we should approach these scriptures is to say, oh, maybe I just need a deeper understanding, a, de- a better eyes of faith of, of it's not just a sense of who's, who's the strong man. God's always going to win that, sure. But, but we're also reminding ourselves like, we're being reminded, I should say, by Scripture, that that there is so much more of what God's offering to us. Um, so it's like the first evidence of the mic drop. You're saying, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> obviously I'm a big fan of, uh, as as several people have now told me they've noticed <laughs> that as I preach um, <laughs> that, that that I end all of my homilies with a mic drop. Um, which I can't fix is the problem. So we're just going to all deal with this uh, image in your head. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, so as we kind of approach scripture, we should, we should be aware of, of the, the strength that God has and the wisdom and the, and this great wisdom that he has that, that we can go a little bit deeper than the first read. Now I say this and I dare you to read Chronicles and try and get anything deeper out of it. There, there are two books of the Bible that I, 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 now that I joke would be a penance for somebody I hate. And one of them is Leviticus chapter 11, which was one of the hardest chapters I've ever read in my life because it's just like, uh, like talking about how to sacrifice a cow. And I'm just like, what is going on? And like, it's not gross or anything. It's just like really detailed. And I'm, I have no idea what's going on. But the other one is, basically anything in first and second chronicles because it is the same story every time. And Alakai is the son of Aram and Aram was the son and he did bad in the sight of God. And then he lived 40 more years. And then all his other books or all his other works are written in this. And you're just like, there are 50 pages of this. Like, you know, so it's, it is kind of funny. All right. So that might go be. listen to Father Mike Schmitz's I, I reading see, I of, can't of wait. Chronicles. I need to find that. Yeah. Because you know what? He got through Genesis all right. That That's easy stuff. That's the fun one, right? And the Gospels, he's going to nail. But man, I dare you to get through Chronicles <laughs> right. and not put everybody to sleep. No. Um, he'll do He'll do great. He's, he's incredible talent. But, um, but yeah. So I think we just need to kind of say, like, it's, it's a good to be aware uh, that this is this is available and that we're our <laughs> the catechism teaches us this is how we are to approach scripture. This isn't just like, oh, a couple of the good the good holy saints do this. No, we're all called to this. <laughs> we're called to approach the word of God as it is, the word of God that has been written down by men. Which leads to, you know, other fun, you know, theories to explore about how God does that, you know, in terms of how does he inspire the divine writers? Does he uh, you know, put them to sleep and they're just, you know, using them or, or is it all these other things? And, you know, there's a certain mystery to that or, or a certain um, not yet known quantity to that. But, um, but yeah, but it, it, it does kind of say if, if we just try and treat scripture, um, the, the call, the basic call of this is that treat scripture unlike other books. You know, this is a holy book, not because we said it was is a holy book because of who the author is. And because of that, we ought to treat it like anything else. I remember, um, so my 
my uh, family bought my chalice, the chalice I use uh, every day here at Sacred Heart. Um, and I, uh, they're gonna, th- my sister's not going to love the fact that I'm calling her out on this, but and then I went to Rome, basically most of my first year as a priest. So um, went back to study. So I like two, three, two, three months as a priest in the States. I used it. And then I was going to Rome and I wasn't going to say, say mass. But I was, you know, and it just was kind of a, and all I had was, you know, a standard suitcase to, to bring over. So I left my chalice in, in the box and then hit it, put it in the closet in my parents' house and then took it out nine months later. Uh, my sister like sees me pull it out and goes, that's been sitting up there the whole time. And I was like, yeah, she goes, I could have been drinking out of that the whole time. I paid for that. Like I, <laughs> I helped pay for that. And I, my mom turns to her and goes, are you serious right now? <laughs> and I was like, of course she wasn't. She just wants to be the favorite and she's not. <laughs> and that's a real thing. And, um, but, uh, but the, but the, the fun of that is, is that she knows, you know, she's just trying to give me a hard time. Um, no, obviously she's not going to drink out of out of the chalice that we use <laughs> for mass. That is a sacred thing that we treat with with extra care. The scripture should be similar. Maybe we don't have to lock it away like like a chalice, but um, we ought to approach it with a little more reverence and a little bit different mindset than we would uh, pretty much any other book. Even good spiritual reading doesn't doesn't come close to to the the fact that it's. The, the the these words are divinely inspired um, and have a divine author. So it's it's a great gift that we're able to um, enter into the the heart of God and the mind of God and in it and that's how we should approach it with by using all of these senses of scripture which don't apply to every verse and it doesn't apply all, you know um, every time but for the most part we can almost always go back to a verse and and get more out. And, and draw more graces from uh, from the Father who is the author and the um, provider of all of these things. All right, we get this question all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we are, we are <laughs> you're not sponsored by any <laughs> Bible here. A good study Bible for someone who wants one these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, so it all depends on... on the level of sure. depth, right? So if you just kind of want basic understanding story, the Bible that I use is the Great Adventure Bible, which is kind of new by Ascension Press. It's kind of got the blue cover. Um, and Car- it, cartoons in it? No, oh, okay. there's not. No, okay. no. But it does have these like um, the, the markers, right? And it does have the little colors to kind of follow the Jeff Caven's Great Adventure timeline. Um and which which I find helpful, and I think the introduction to the books are, are excellent. I mean, really, truly excellent. Okay. Um, if you uh, the, the whole Bible isn't out yet, but um, Bishop Barron's Gospels, um, a little pricey, very high quality. I mean, high quality printing and everything. Um, that is. Yeah, it's not like Roman Missal paper. No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, they were talking. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was looking at this, and I was like, oof, um, and a nice cover, um, and. And and also an excellent resource, but you're only going to get the gospels, right. and and it's so far, so far, and it's and and the, the four gospels are thicker than most Bibles, <laughs> you know. Um, so you're talking a lot of words, but you know it's worth it because it's the gospels. Um, yeah, and and there's a couple of of good um, free commentaries online. Honestly, the uh, was it Saint Paul Center? 
uh, is basically run by Scott Hahn, etc. Um, excellent in their free at times. Um, formed actually does a lot of good Bible studies. I know we're kind of moving off of you know what Bible to use, but I um, per- and personally, what's your favorite translation of the Bible? Uh, so I usually recommend uh, NRSV, okay, the new, new New Revised Standard. Um, yeah, stay away from uh, International Version and King James. Right, those are, those are tend to be Protestant translations, and they kind of make it known uh, <laughs> in very subtle ways, um, but. Yeah, that one, and a, a lot of people, Dewey Rames, a little bit older style, but is, is pretty good, and so is the, uh, uh, the, what's the uh, Jerusalem Bible, I think is, is easy. I also tend to stay away from the one that we use in Mass, which is New American. I, I, I've, I've, I've prayed with it, and it's fine. It's good, actually, um, but it's just not as, I don't think it's as rigorous as, as the others, and, you know, if you're going to study it, study the real thing, you know? Amen. Yeah. Hi, blessing. All right. Through the intercession of the holy saints, may the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.